In this episode of Did You Hear, Greg Windsor and Matt Christ talk books for busy people. But first, Helen Hokinson presents our writing contest winners. And our host, Dave Carson, gives a shout out to our blog. Welcome to the Did You Hear podcast, where we talk about what's happening and what we recommend. It's the Johnson County Library uh, podcast, and you might be wondering, what the heck was that all about? Well, we're here to talk about now presenting writing contest winners, and the theme this last month was music. Right, Helen? Yes. Um, so Tim Tankard won our um, short story contest during our music theme with the Crawdad song, and that was what we were just hearing, which was quite fun. Um, so Tim, um, he grew up in Kansas City and still lives here. He's had a, a lot of jobs um, since over the years. He taught high school and junior college English. He's done some newspaper reporting and editing and some computer programming. Um, but he's also had some um, he's been published in several literary magazines, which is kind of exciting. Um, it's kind of fun. He stumbled upon our writing contest just poking around the website. And so, Tim, um, before we actually um, ha- have you read your story, we'll probably save that for the end since it's long, but can you maybe tell us, um, did you write the story for the contest, or was it already written I and did. then? Yes, I, I hadn't written it at all. In fact, um, I, I saw the theme, music, so I kind of thought around something, and when I first wrote it, the funny part was it came out to be about 5,000 words long. <laughs> and wow. that was really an interesting, because I used to, you know, like you said, teach writing. And, and I, I remember I used to always tell my students, you know, edit that down, you know, see how, see how far you can distill your work. And I had to really do that myself. So I, I kept going, got it down to 3,000, 2,000. So it was really, really funny. And then by the time I got it down to 1,000, using the word check, it was like, ah, Exactly a thousand. That wow! Was it. So that was yeah. one of the neat parts about it. Yeah. So we have a thousand word limit on our <laughs> on our prose um, contests. Um, well, it turned out nicely. How long did you have to work on it to get it? How long did that take you? I guess a couple of weeks. Hmm? Yeah. That's impressive. Did you have anybody read it and get some critique? Yeah, I had my daughter Kitty, mm-hmm. who's also a good writer, and my wife Val. Nice. So, so and they she was singing it. with you. Yeah. Yeah, my. Thanks for coming today. She always edits my stuff, you know. Yeah, nice. Okay. Very good. 
And then also with us today is Mary Silwans. She won um, the poetry contest during our Women's Voices theme. And she uh, lives in Kansas City. She's a mother, an environmentalist, an educator, a former farmhand, and hopes to be again, and obviously a poet. Um, she's had work published in many places, and when you hear her read The Mystery, you will understand why. Would you like to share that with us? Sure. The mystery, it is not the baby, star, three wise men, shepherds, fulfillment of prophecy, or even the lauded status of the girl. What interests me is the birthing, the details of which are always discarded. Seems to me when only men give voice, the story is incomplete. Besides, what male, bent on saving a careless world, would choose the birth canal for an entrance and arrive in the most vulnerable condition possible? I wonder what she was thinking. If this were a gymnastics event and I were a commentator, I would say, dude, you just nailed that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, Thank I- Thank you. Yeah, that's yeah, fantastic. Yeah, the theme, you just, you hit the theme. Did you write this for the contest, or was it already written? I actually wrote it for the Kansas City Writers Group. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a get-together at Christmas time, and um, we were asked to write something Christmas-themed. And um, this was something that was always a, on my mind, having grown up church. Like, we talk about all these other things, but we don't actually talk about the birthing. And um, being a mom birthing is one of those things that I am very interested in and we don't discuss the details of it so I was like oh that just mm-hmm. so this is the poem that came out as a result of that opportunity so That's I thought amazing. this is perfect for this contest yeah did you know your poetry coach is one of our selectors she's she yes. judges the contest yeah, yeah yeah so she um for for those of you listening you may not know the entries are blind we don't know who has entered we just see the work and uh Meryl Crabtree mm-hmm. um helps us select and uh, she said well I know this poem and so I have to sit back and I'm not going to participate <laughs> in right. the discussion and wow. uh, yeah, yeah so um it was kind of cool yeah yeah <laughs> um that's how Meryl and I met, actually, through the writers' group. Oh, so, nice. yeah. yeah. Very good. Good. Well, let's hear more poetry from Mary. Uh, Mary sent um, an additional poem to us called Upon... Let me try that again. Upon Learning That Weeds, that I think is brilliant. Would you like to read that one? Sure. Upon learning that weeds hold soil in place amend its chemical composition like spinach for Popeye. Who am I to dismiss homeless, hard-working Dan because he drinks his pay away, or my wheelchaired neighbor sucking Marlboros on the porch through her trachea? Who am I to judge what holds us together, replenishes our composition so we survive the concrete, seeking arteries and veins that pulse through cracks everywhere? Nice. Thank you. That speaks to me. On the way in, we were talking with Tim, and he was curious about um, your line spacing, Um, which, of course, on the podcast, you can't hear that, but you can (laughs) see it on our website if you want to read the mystery. Do you want to talk about that, especially on the mystery? 
Um, I think because, well, I, I am a fan of E.E. E. Cummings, as you brought up. Um, I think part of it for me is that I don't like visual clutter and sometimes punctuation feels like visual clutter. And so I thought, could I use spacing instead of punctuation to kind of um, encourage the reader where to pause and, and to highlight certain parts of the poem? It just feels like there's all this um, white space that's like a canvas oh, that can be used um, yeah, to express, to convey what you want the poem to say, but do it sure. visually rather than just with words. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So, you know, with like classical music, there are all these little written instructions on how to perform it, you know, pace and, and, and uh, technique, but you've done that for your reader on how to read the poetry by the way you've uh, laid it out. So you've kind of given instructions. On I hope so. That's my intention. Yeah. I hope that mm-hmm. comes across. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it's very effective. Thank you. Um, another one that you sent to us that I think, for me, it continues the theme of women's voices, women's voices or, or um, this focus on motherhood that I liked a lot was jam. Yeah, I wrote that when my 13-year-old hated me. (laughs) (laughs) The parents among us (laughs) are all identifying right now. (laughs) Do you want me to read that one? Yeah. Jam. I am lavishing it on an almost burnt croissant for you. Almost burnt because toasters aren't made for crescents. For you, because even though you're capable at 13 to make your own jam sandwich, you've agreed to let me make it for you our only civil conversation in 47 hours. Strawberry, because we used to pick berries in the early summer, our fingers and chins sticky stained a faint red. Remember when we squatted in a row next to a deaf family the year you taught yourself to sign? You were shy and eager to talk with them. Your sisters and I watched you speak a silent, fluid language we did not know. After picking more than we could carry, sampling more than we could taste, We came home, thirsty for salt. I hauled on the porch while you and your sisters drenched each other with the hose. When it was time to make jam, you eyed the boiling pots and steaming jars from a distance, firing questions quicker than I could respond. This, at least, remains. You, firing questions quicker than I can respond. When finished, the pop of sealed jars delighted you as much as the dimpled lids inspected before shelving the jam in the basement, next to the blackberries, under the tomatoes and peppers, above applesauce and beets. But this was ages ago, or maybe last year. Now I am without you in silent fields, dry on the porch, canning with Pandora, and all these dusty jars on a basement shelf. Thank you. That was great. (laughs) Thank you. It applies to 14-year-old boys as well. (laughs) Oh, no. You speak from experience. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Desert Dream. Um, This is wonderful. Um, To me, it speaks about individuality, which is um, sometimes very important. Um, Would you like to share that one? Sure. So this is a new poem, and I'm breaking a cardinal rule of sharing work um, by reading something that's brand new rather than something that's polished. But for me, it helps me refine it to hear it out loud and okay. to test it. So, And, you know, this poem is a little bit about 
coloring outside the lines and breaking rules, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it's actually based <laughs> on um, my experience as a child. I colored trees and was told I was doing it wrong. Yeah, so it, it's 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 suited to reading it against the rules. That's true, right? that's right, yes, yeah. <laughs> Desert Dream. In a metal school desk, she drew trees with leaves of eggplant, raspberry, and pumpkin, crayoned page after page. The teacher admonished such foolishness, for green was the dream she knew to extol, and so the children shaded emerald and jade and received silver stars. But the girl of radish, apricot, and carrot collected her sheaves like an autumnal bouquet and left the desert in search of her trees. Thank you. Okay. Well, so before we hear um, uh, Tim's piece, I want to remind everyone that the event is now presenting Writing Contest winners. It's Tuesday, May 21st, 6.30 to 7.30 p.m. at the Central Resource Library in our Carmack room. Yeah. Did Before, you want to introduce this piece? Sure. Okay. So this is um, the Crawdad song, um, and it was obviously his response to our music theme, and um, I will just let Tim read his piece. All right. Here we go. The, the Crawdad song. I'm standing on the ledge outside my bedroom window about to light a reefer when my father walks into the room. From the dark, I watch him around in the lamplight, and then he opens my desk drawer and starts rummaging through it. I know what he's after. I step back into the window, which doesn't seem to surprise him. You shouldn't be out there, he says. How many times I gotta tell you? Oh, maybe a hundred, I say. He's in his usual late night getup, white boxing shorts, sleeveless undershirt, bottle of beer, flip-flops. For some reason, he never goes barefoot, not even at home. What's up, I ask. You got any smokes? Though he scolds me for smoking, he's not above bumming one when he runs out. That's only fair, since I'd stolen plenty from him when I was underage. I quit, I grin, digging a pack from my pocket. He takes two, tucking the second behind his ear. You should quit, he says. He lights up, staring at that cigarette as if it's a bomb. We didn't know any better when I was your age. Back when Dad was my age, he was a linebacker on his college football team. He was studying pre-med and majoring in chemistry and math, all in the GI Bill. Then Mom got pregnant. Dad busted a kneecap skating. Eventually, he graduated and landed a job at Western Auto. Looking at him, you wouldn't guess he's had a heart attack, bypass surgery, and two DWIs. When he grew a mustache, people said he looked like Charles Bronson, though I, I didn't see it. Yesterday afternoon when I came home for spring break, my sister Lizzie told mom, told me mom had rented an apartment and planned to move out. Being away at college, I'd grown detached from these things, but Lizzie was in high school, so she had a different lookout. He's a mess, Liz was saying. He paces around all night, drinking and smoking and farting. Who can blame mom? I've seen worse, I shrugged. She was leaving for work at Winstead's and had on her car hop dress. The day I graduate, she said, fixing a bow into her hair. So long, Casey. Me and Jesus are heading for the mountains. My sister and I have very different memories of our father. 
I recall him coaching my baseball team, taking us on canoe trips, being an usher at mass on Sundays. Lizzie knew the evenings when he didn't come home and he ate, we ate dinner without him. His plate left at the table long after we did the dishes. What are you doing up this late anyway, my dad asked. Maybe you can tell me, dad. He just shakes his head, says nobody crazier than people. On his way out, he knocks over my guitar, which was leaning against the bed. Actually, it's his guitar. I play it when I come home since I leave my electric at school. He picks it up and sits on my bed. I never hear you play anymore, he says, holding the guitar out. Play something. Not tonight, Dad. I wave him off. I'm tired. You still know the Crawdad song? No, Dad. I completely forgot it. Bullshit. Of course I know it, Dad. Everybody does. It's like Yankee Doodle. Not the verses we play, he says. You know I learned them from, your, from my dad, your grandpa Frank. I've heard this story a million times. How his father, Frank Moriarty, who died in a fire two days after I was born, learned it from a black man he met during the Depression on an oil rig in Oklahoma. Later, his dad determined that man was Blind Boy Fuller. I didn't put much stock in it, though the version he sang does have verses I've not heard elsewhere. He starts strumming, humming the words. My dad was never much of a guitarist, but he could sing. I envied his voice. It was strong and real, not like mine, which I felt sounded contrived. Come on, son. I don't ask for much, he says. He starts singing, and reluctantly I join in. You get a line, I'll get a pole, honey. You get a line, I'll get a pole, baby. But after a couple of verses, I stop. This is dumb. Maybe tomorrow, I say, when you haven't been drinking. Dad doesn't say anything. He lays his guitar on my bed and heads downstairs, his flip-flops slapping the wooden steps. A few weeks later, I get a call from my mom at my dorm. Your father had a stroke last night, she's saying. We didn't find him till morning. I drive home and find mom and Lizzie sitting in the kitchen, along with my grandparents on mom's side. He's at St. Luke's. You best go say your goodbyes, Mom said. Her eyes look so red and her face so exhausted that she frightens me. I go upstairs and get Dad's guitar and leave for the hospital. A nurse leads me to his room where I find him staring at the ceiling, covered with a sheet, wires snaking out, his bare feet exposed. Can he hear me? I ask the nurse. You never know, she says, and then checks her watch and leaves. Hi, Dad, I say. I tug the sheet down over his feet. Then I pick up the guitar and I sing the Crawdad song for my father. I sing all the verses, including the ones that Grandpa Frank learned from that blues man in Oklahoma. Then I lightly kiss him on his forehead and leave. My father has been dead for over 20 years. Mom sold the house and moved to the Kansas suburbs and married a man, a kind man named Monty, who doesn't drink or play music. And I still play the Crawdad song from time to time. I have two kids and I tell them the story about Grandpa Frank and I point out the picture of my father that is on our wall. That's it. Kayla Wiltfong is um, in the undergraduate program at UMKC um, with an emphasis in creative writing and um, she, she's actually a longtime JCL writer. She um, was published in our Elementia Teen Magazine. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. And then also in Shawnee Mission East's 
Freelancer Literary Magazine. Go Lancers. Yeah. (laughs) Daughter went to that fine institution. Yes, so did I. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. Just a couple years. And then our second writer that we have with us today um, is Martha Gershon. She won in the essay category of Women's Voices with her essay, Channeling Marjorie. Um, And her first book, Karen Custody, a novel of three children at risk, was published in June. So just last month. A year 2018. ago. A year ago. Still, congratulations. Thank you. Still feels fresh. Still uh, feels new. <laughs> um, and then she's had essays published in, in various places, which we can talk about. I thought we would jump right into the poetry and have Kayla read her, her um, poem. She won in the music category for her poem, From the Joint. That sounds like an excellent plan. Jazz can be clean. Be made like yachts and granite countertops and blinding white kitchens. But the best jazz is dirty like pickup, baseball in the park just after rain. Like barbecue from the joint down the street that your grandmother would never set foot in. Like the studio apartment where the writer scatters ink like blood and sheds paper like skin. More shapeshifter than snake. Kayla, did you write that for the contest or was that a poem that happened to fit in that category? So it was actually a poem that happened to fit in the category. I'd been working on it for a while and like, I don't, I love this poem, which I don't know if you're supposed to say that about your own work, but. Well, I do. I love it too. So so I was really like wanting to do something with it and I'd entered one of these contests before. Um, So I was like, oh, let me just look and see like what they have going on in their contests and stuff. And the theme was music, and I was like, have ah. the per- perfect poem. <laughs> right. Nice, nice. Well, we obviously agree it was the perfect poem. How much revision do you do on your poetry? Um, well, I mean, it kind of depends. A lot of times I have a solid idea of what I want to do before I go into writing it. Um, but then there's always, like, words you can take out, because poetry is really about being compact, mm-hmm. and everything has to, like, be important to what you're writing so for this one I did go through it several times and like change some words figure out what things I wanted to put in there the Mm -hmm. ending came like the part about the writer came kind of after everything else Mm -hmm. Um, I remember that but that imagery is great I love that part yeah yeah Um, what about critique do you have people critique your poems I haven't had anyone critique a poem in a while. Mm. Um, I was in a a poetry workshop, so I have done it, uh, you know. And I did actually send this one to someone and be like, what do you think about it? So Mm -hmm. sometimes I do. Cool. Cool. Well, um, let's let's talk with Martha a little bit about her essay, Channeling Marjorie. we're going to save the reading of Channeling Marjorie until the end because it's kind of long, but would you like to summarize for a little bit what this essay is about? I'd love to. Channeling Marjorie is about knitting, and it's also about friendship. Um, One of my very closest friends' um, mothers died, and she was a knitter, and I'm a knitter, and um, I was the recipient of the great stash of yarn. Anyone who's a knitter knows that all knitters have a stash. That's the yarn that someday you're going to do something with. And um, my dear friend Rick and his son Josh uh, gave me Marjorie's yarn. And I felt um, compelled 
to do something special and important with it. But I also had this very transcendent experience that I was working with material that someone else had picked out for different reasons, huh. and that someone was gone. It mm -hmm. wasn't like a girlfriend who gives you some yarn and you can call and talk about it. So it was a little bit about life after death, mm -hmm. um, about how the things in our life um, live on beyond us. It was about the, the friendship that compelled me to, to unite with that uh, living material. It was interesting to hear, hear Kayla talk about the contest. Um, like Kayla, I had written this essay um, independently uh -huh. of the contest. Uh, I had written it as a, as a gift, really, to, to go with the product of the yarn, back to my friends Rick and Josh. And then when I saw your topic, I thought, mm -hmm. when you've written something, you're always looking for a place for it to go. Where should it be published? Who should mm -hmm. I send it mm -hmm. to? And when I saw the contest, I thought, that's the home mm -hmm. for this essay. Nice. That's wonderful. Very nice. And what was um, Rick and was it Josh? What were their what were their responses to the essay? So, um, in some ways, this is this is particularly poignant because um, after I wrote this essay, but before the contest, Rick died as well, <gasps> oh, and God. so he had the opportunity to read it mm -hmm. and. Um, and tear up and, and tell me how important it was, but he never saw it reach its publication mm, life. Mm, um, mm. To, my, to my great gratification, Josh, who is Marjorie's grandson, mm -hmm. um, I will be at the reading, so he will, oh, he will get to nice. hear me read it out loud. He's um, read it on the website, and we've talked a lot about it. So there's, there's a generational yeah. feel to this, um, and, and also my, my feeling that when you write something for somebody, give it to them right away, because you never, you never know. Uh, mm, yeah. Okay, well, I'm a crier, so we'll <laughs> <laughs> just take a moment to... Well, I, 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 love, I love the insight of, you know, the, the knitting part and, and the passing of yarn and all that. And anytime that you get to learn something, whether it's in a movie or a book or a poem or whatever, and you get uh, some of those details about how somebody goes about their craft, whether it's a hobby or just an interest, it's, it's always so fascinating. And, and uh, you know, the context is so personalized because... The, the story and so I can't wait to hear her read the essay but we have to wait yes okay um so right now I'd like to bounce back to Kayla she is in fact a second time contest winner oh, so she won um for her poem politics when the theme was um what was the theme I just lost it Building a Better World. Yes, Building a Better World. Sure. And so, um, would you like to read that poem now? Yep, sure. Okay. Do not leave your ballpoint, gel, or fountain pens in reach of your small children in their stubby Cheeto dust hands so that they can scribble across famous documents they haven't yet read. That was Politics by Kayla Wiltfong. I love that. So obviously the selection committee loved it. Um, and we talked a lot about whether we could choose a politically charged poem, mm. um, you know, that was obviously about a particular politician. And in the end, we decided that if a poem had been submitted by another person, you know, um, we would consider it for the artistic merit, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'm wondering if after it was published, did you get any pushback? Did anybody kind of say anything about it? So I didn't really get any. I knew that it could happen. And I was actually honestly like, what? They actually chose that poem? Like, <laughs> I was a little bit surprised. 
but mm-hmm. I was glad too. It's yeah. sh- short, but it it pulls yeah. no punches. Yeah. I so oh. we enjoyed it. We also, for those of you who aren't um, aware of how the contests work, the entries are blind, so we don't actually see who um, who the author of a poem is, which is super fun when you you know send that notice that says congratulations you won and then we get to find out who the person was so it's always exciting there's a big reveal oh uh, yeah for yeah. us um yeah and it's really exciting um there are other people who've won twice i'm trying to think who who it is and i can't remember right now because you know the gray <laughs> matter ain't what it used to be <laughs> but um yeah and so it's always exciting to see familiar names pop up and and yeah well done. Yeah. And so, um, Martha, I understand you have a book that's about to be published. So it was interesting when you, when you said we should talk about our writing life. I, I like, treasured that phrase because I've, um, I've been a, a managerial professional in the corporate nonprofit world for so long, and my writing's sort of taken a backseat. And when I retired in 2017 and people said, what do you want to do? I said over and over, I want to write. But saying it and doing it aren't the same thing. Mm. <laughs> and I've learned that you have to carve out the time and you have to protect it. Um, you know, people think, uh, she's just writing, she'll come out to lunch. Or she's just mm-hmm. writing, she'll join the committee. And you really have to um, protect it like it's a job. Kale, I see you nodding. I'm sure it's the same thing as a student. Yeah, definitely. You have to protect your writing time. And the first project um, I did was, was to write a novel about children in foster care because that's the work I'd been doing for so long. Mm. And I self-published Care in Custody last June. Mm-hmm. It's had um, a particular life in the world of foster and child advocates. Um, and I've done quite a bit of speaking about it. I'm going to a national conference um, at the end of June to speak some more about it. But I wanted to keep writing, right? Mm. It, it, I didn't just want to write that book, I wanted mm-hmm. to write. So essays like this one have been important. Some poetry I'm uh, going to be reading at the Crystal Field Scholarship Reading at the Writer's Place next week. And then I sort of had a life-changing experience, and we shouldn't talk about that on this podcast because it's not what this podcast is about. (laughs) But one of my big projects last year is that I donated a kidney to a woman that I met through the newspaper. And having done that, I realized... I had to write about it. You do have um, to write about yes. I mean, there, there are not a lot of kidney donors out there, but there are kidney donors. But how many of them are also writers? Yes. Wow. So um, along with uh, Dr. John Lantos, who uh, runs the Bioethics Center at Children's Mercy Hospital, I started to work on a book about organ transplantation and organ donation. And just last week, Cornell University Press told us that they would like to work with us to wow. get it published. Wow. So. Now, finally, I'm going to have a book that I didn't self-publish, but yes. made it into the, um, the mainstream academic yeah. press. So wow. now John and I have a deadline. We promised them a manuscript by Labor Day. And now I'm like, oh, I have to write. I have to write. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Nothing like an impending deadline to keep yeah. you on track. Right? right. But I'm kind of excited, too, because it's yeah. also the perfect explanation of why I'm protecting that mm-hmm. yes. time. Yes. Yeah. So I'm getting much better now at saying to people, I have mm-hmm. a Labor Day deadline for a manuscript. I have a commitment to a Mm co-author. I have a commitment to a publisher. I'm sorry. I can't go to lunch. Well, thanks for coming to visit with us today. (laughs) This qualifies as part of the writing life. Yes. yes. Okay. So Kayla, can you top that story? I'm teasing you. (laughs) I'm teasing. Um, So you are um, in your creative writing program at UMKC. What, What plans beyond that do you have? So I'm 
planning on applying to MFA programs for writing in the fall. Um, and although both the pieces I read on this podcast are poetry, I'll probably go for fiction. Nice. So, okay. <laughs> poetry was like my first love, but I'm really interested in like writing like a story, a prose story. Yeah, I think nice. your experience writing poetry will inform your your fiction writing well. I think it'll it'll be a nice partnership between those two kinds of writing. Okay. I'm curious. Do you find a lot of students at UMKC write in more than one genre? Um, there's a few. Yeah, I've met a few, but there's also a lot of people who are like, "Oh no, I only write poetry," or "Oh no, who writes poetry?" Like, <laughs> nobody reads that. So you know. Hmm. Everybody's different. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. So um, I think we can wrap things up, keep things short short and sweet. And so, um, Martha, would you like to wrap up by reading Channeling Marjorie? Well, I will. It's not as short as Kayla's. But, um, <laughs> Before I, you begin, I, I want to make sure that we let our listeners know that you can hear both Martha and Kayla and a couple Tim, others. Yes, Tim Tankard and Mary Silwants have also... At the now presenting Writer Contest Winners event, and that is Tuesday, May the 21st. I can't read my own writing. May the 21st, <laughs> 6.30 to 7.30 at the Central Resource Library. Is that in the Carmack Community Room? Or? It is in Carmack. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Once again, Tuesday, May 21st, 6.30 to 7.30, Central Resource Library. Channeling Marjorie. There is something deeply intimate about knitting with another woman's yarn, fingering the textures, gauging the colors. There's a special bond created when you work the very material that she chose to work herself. And when that woman is dead, the intimacy becomes infused with added mystery. There is obvious revelation. She liked browns and greens. She preferred medium needles. She bought on sale. And there are numerous unanswered questions. Why did she buy nine skeins of butter yellow when she clearly preferred more muted tones? What was the plan for the dozen twists of forest green? Was she planning a special gift? Or did these yarns just strike her fancy, piled high and cheap on the craft store shelf? For the past nine months, I have been knitting with Marjorie's yarn. Marjorie was my dear friend Rick's mother grandmother to his adults and Josh, my friend as well. I only met her once, five years ago, at her adult daughter's funeral. We spoke for a few minutes. Knitting did not come up. But I knew a lot about Marjorie from stories Rick told. She had been a nurse with a career back before women routinely worked outside the home. She was devoted to her husband, the family patriarch, packing up and moving the family without complaint each time he had an opportunity for career advancement, six times before they settled in Kansas City for good. She was Germanic and Nordic in both ancestry and character. She didn't hug her children, and she never tucked them in at night. She took care of their needs in a functionally maternal way, and they were left to figure the rest out for themselves. And she was an accomplished knitter. That last trait, the most important from my point of view, was casually divulged. One day, I complimented Rick, complimented Rick on a particularly nice sweater. Green, soft, cable knit. My mother made it, he said. Up until that very moment, I had no idea that his mother knitted. 
let alone knitted well. Considering Rick knew how much I liked to knit and how much he liked the warm scarf I made him one birthday out of precious alpaca, this was a pretty big oversight. Then, this Christmas, I got a surprise from Josh, a garbage bag filled with Marjorie's yarn. She hadn't been able to knit in years. Fibromyalgia had inflamed her hands, and it was now too painful to hold the needles. Josh came across the stash in a closet and asked if he could share it. Marjorie must have agreed because the yarn was transferred in front of a local restaurant one cold December night. I accepted that first distribution greedily, browns and greens and variegated skeins with deep purple strands mixed in. What a treasure. For weeks, Rick had been reporting that Marjorie, now 88, was failing fast. I sent a handwritten note to this woman I had only met once, thanking her for the generous gift and promising to be a good steward of her yarn. And then, in a frantic race against time, I knitted like a madwoman. A scarf of muted browns for Rick, another from those skeins with the purple for Josh. I wanted Marjorie to see something beautiful created from her yarn one more time before she died. I knew I was making this story up, but I wanted this woman I barely knew to see that her yarn could represent just a little bit of immortality. I don't know if that deeper meaning got through, but Rick reported back that his mother liked the starves a great deal. The urge to rush had been prescient. By April, both Marjorie and her 87-year-old husband were dead. Tackling the monumental task of clearing out his parents' stuff, Rick discovered two more garbage bags filled with yarn, more than double that first stash. Now, the rest of Marjorie's yarn is mine. For the past two months, I have been knitting squares of brown and green and beige, each worked in a different stitch. There is the easy mistake stitch rib that is my go-to stitch, the one I used for the winter scarves for Rick and Josh. There is the cable stitch I chose because I found it in a knitting magazine I also inherited from Marjorie. And there is the tuck stitch I had never tried before because I felt it was important to try something new with this old yarn. This whole time I have been knitting with Marjorie's yarn, I have been thinking about her. What was it like to be a woman of that generation when pursuing higher education and seeking a career were the exception and not the norm? What does it mean to never hug your children while devoting night after night making beautiful garments to keep them warm? Was she lonely, packing up and moving, leaving friends and community to follow her husband year after year? Is that why she knit? When I finish this blanket, I will give it to Rick. He is living in his parents' home now, and I like to think of this blanket living there too. His mother's yarn made manifest by his best friend. I like to think we will both be keeping him warm. Marjorie did not plan for her yarn to go to me. I doubt she planned for it to go to anyone. Like all of us, she expected to live long enough to use every skein. But Marjorie died with her work unfinished and I have been honored and blessed to share the textures and colors and weights that called to her. It is the only thing left I can do for her, this fellow knitter who birthed a line of men I care for very much, to weave her memory into the fabric, rhythmic row after rhythmic row. I hope when my time comes, someone will do the same for me. Did you hear about our blog? 
It lives on the front page of our website. It's the main reason you should make visiting jokolibrary.org part of your everyday routine. We have new content daily, sometimes twice daily. You'll find information about upcoming events, staff picks, Johnson County history, our comprehensive library master plan, this podcast, our friends, our foundation, all the products and services we have to help you be successful, like homework help, lynda.com, Reference USA, and so much more. If that weren't enough, you can enjoy Featured Artist Fridays, where we shine the spotlight on local musicians and exhibiting artists. Oh, and a pro tip, make sure you click that More Stories button. Welcome back to the Did You Hear podcast, and our next segment is we recommend, and we love to recommend uh, all sorts of different books and materials we have here at the library because we have reading experts, and Greg Windsor has one of those reading experts with him today. I do, Dave. And your topic is uh, books for busy people. Yes, because... uh We understand that people out there have lives and jobs and children and about a billion other things going on in their lives. And we wanted to talk to one of our staffs about about what you do if you are a busy person living a busy life. How do you find time to read? And with me today is uh, Matt. How's it going today, Matt? Going good, Greg. How are you doing? Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are and what you do at the library? Well, I uh, am currently housed here at Central, but I am going to be going to the new Lenexa branch to do adult services and Ooh. information specializing. Okay, great. Are you excited about the new uh, the new gig, the new, uh, am, new library? I'm very excited about it, yes. Yes, and if, any, <laughs> and if anything goes wrong at the new library, it's all, it's, it's, you're responsible, right? Yeah, that's what they tell me. Okay, fair enough. Can you tell me a little something else about yourself, any major life events that's been going on in the last year or so? Yes, I have a daughter who is three months old today. Congratulations. Hey, congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. So uh, I haven't re- been doing a whole lot of serious reading for the past three months. Now, have you? Do you consider yourself a uh, serious reader normally? Normally, yes. I, I'm a completely different reader now than I was a year ago, or even three months ago, when I was. I considered myself to be a serious reader, uh, almost like a competitive reader, the way somebody might be a competitive eater. Okay, or like, like a bodybuilder or something body like that. Bodybuilder, yeah, 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 CrossFit kind of training. <laughs> You're a CrossFit reader. reader. Yeah, I, I tackle the hard stuff. Sure. I tackle difficult books, and um, I like to read them from beginning to end. Yeah. As not as quickly as possible, but as thoroughly as possible, trying to, and then f- be able to form an opinion on it and then move on. Okay. Now, how has that changed from three months ago to today? Right. Uh, Well, I can't really find myself more than about a minute and a half to two minutes together at a time to to actually devote to serious reading. Mm -hmm. So um, I've had to, by necessity, kind of change my outlook on reading from being this really serious, omnivorous reader that's reading things like Joyce and Roberto Bolaño and and Proust to somebody who who reads maybe those same things but does so from kind of a different perspective. I'm currently failing my Goodreads uh, challenge. We are all failing our Goodreads yeah. challenge. Yeah, so you're not the only one. No, that's good to know. Okay, fair enough. So uh, tell me about, so how do you approach a book now that you don't have perhaps the, the time or the energy that you once did? Well, I 
pick a book now that is something that's not necessarily short. That doesn't really play into my 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 reading is more of my attitude and my my approach to reading is sort of something like a I wander up to a book that I think looks enjoyable. Uh-huh. It could be a book of poetry, it could be a cookbook, it could be just about anything. Uh, books have always been such a big part of my life sure. and I love reading them, but now because my time is so fleeting, my reading time, I just choose to sort of approach the book, wander into the story from the beginning, you know, from where I last left off and uh-huh. just kind of maybe spend some time with it and enjoy the words. I'm a writer, so I like words. I like to be in- informed and even instructed on how words can go together. So you like to like feel words, taste yeah. them, and maybe reread them and kind of roll them around in your mind a little just bit. Just quietly approach a story and, and embrace the joy of reading, the kind of Bob Ross joy of reading. With happy little words. With happy little words. And uh, almighty uh, sentences. And then put the book down with the knowledge that I might not get back to it for a very long time or I might have to start over again and have that be okay. And th- I think that's the biggest piece of it is having that that Goodreads challenge failure and not finishing the book and not piling up shelves of books, impressive books that I've read that I can show off in my library like trophies. There uh, is kind of a, a shame sometimes attached to uh, not f- hitting your reading goal or not being able to read what you originally planned on reading. Right, right. right. Yeah. And I've, I've always felt a sort of anxiety about walking away from a book, like a not finishing something that mm-hmm. I started and not being able to, you know, if I, can I really form a, an opinion on this book if I don't read all of it? Mm-hmm. And now my, my attitude is sort of like, do I need to form that strong of an opinion about this book or can I just have it be what it is and move on with my life. Because after about 20 or 30 pages, you kind of know kind of how, what the book is going to be about, Mm -hmm. right? And how the book is going about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's something that uh, um, some librarians do. They'll read like the first 20 or 30 pages or so, and then they'll flip to the last 30 pages. And between those bits of information, you know kind of, you know, what the book is about and how it goes about it and does it fulfill its promise and and will and who will uh, who would this book appeal to? Yeah, you can definitely taste a book and kind of get its feel. You don't need to read all of it to know what it's about. Mm-hmm. But um I also mean like just approaching a book from a really peaceful place and just being able to walk away from it if you need to and come back to it when you want to and not have it hanging over your head and failing my good I'm sort of failing my goodreads challenge with a little bit of joy now because I'm I'm not I don't have all these books that I put on my list hanging over my head that guilt that yeah. guilt there's no guilt with this kind of reading it's very just kind of go with the flow Dave, can we title this uh, podcast Zen and the Art of Book Reading? Oh, absolutely. Okay, I so like this that. is, I'm feeling very, very Zen here, almost yeah. as if you, <laughs> you're embracing, you uh, understand the challenge and uh, understand, accept that you may not be able to live up to everything in the challenge, but you are still getting something from the experience. Right. It's a different kind of enjoyment from reading than racking up lists and shelves of books that are difficult and you can still tackle the difficult books but like I read In Search of Lost Time by Marcel Proust Uh and um, I always on the part where he is talking about how he goes to sleep at night which is very early on in the book I always 
fall asleep and I can never I, I always drift <laughs> off I can never quite get to a point where I'm reading past that sure but I like that part of the book it's the only part of the book I've ever read and I've, I've read it over and over again I've never this that's another thing I've gotten into is is rereading stuff yeah I've never being this CrossFit reader I've never really you know once you've read a book why you know unless it, you need something from that book why read it again there's so many other books out there sure but now I can read a book or listen to a book uh, again, read parts of it that I like, revisit that space Mm -hmm. and kind of get the same, revisit the same feeling that I got when I read it or listened to it. Why why is that? Why is that that you can change your, your reading style now? What, what's changed? Is it the fact that you're a, a new father? I think it's the fact that I'm a new father. Yeah. I think that I had to come – if I wanted to keep books in my life uh-huh. in any capacity, I kind of had to change my my style of, of books and what they meant to me and how I, how I can approach them. Is it is it that if you don't give it your full attention, you've already read the story and so uh, you – you you know whatever you pick up is is pure enjoyment, but mm-hmm. yeah, you yeah. Know, you're not messing out on the plot because maybe the reading uh, periods are kind of intermittent. Yeah, yeah, you can still get like I could re- pick up a cookbook and read a recipe. I could uh-huh. pick up a book of poetry, read a poem or half of a poem until my wife needs me to get a bottle, and then uh, I put it down. And I might come back to it. I might not. Yeah. But I can I can focus on the feeling that the words uh, instill in me and kind of. That that's part, you know, there's nothing, I don't want anybody to think there's anything wrong with reading with an almost competitive edge and like trying to really push yourself, push yourself uh, as a reader or as a, a wordsmith or as a person who really challenges themselves. But to, um, I think it's okay to kind of step back and enjoy it from this angle and sort of just read the words pick up a book, put it down, pick up another book, put it down, wander in and out of the stories, find your find your way through them or not. Because wow. it, it is something that I've noticed that people, you a, a book will hit you differently in different parts of your life. There's, yeah. uh, I'm sure everyone can point to an example where they picked up a book, didn't like it, not their thing, right. you know, and they put it back down again. And then maybe 10 years later, 15 years later, you pick up that same book and you get a whole different experience. Now the book hasn't changed. Right. You've changed. Right. You're getting you're getting something out of the book due to your life experience mm-hmm. that you either didn't pay attention to before or weren't aware of on that certain level or weren't looking for. That's such an reading. interesting point because you bring so much to what you're reading yes. from your own experience. And, and that changes the story itself yes wow also i see it that again zen in the art of of book reading (laughs) also if you as a new father i I went through this myself that i got i started hanging out with my friends less and less just because i had less and less time and but the times that we did get together and talk were you you talked about different things than you did before children or before you know life circumstances changed you're still friends with that person, but maybe the things that you talk about, the things you get about are different. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And, and I read – another part of it that I forgot to mention is I read slower now uh-huh. because uh-huh. I read in bits and blasts of, of words together. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes I'm reading out loud. If I need to calm an infant in my arms, I'll, I'll just start reading aloud whatever I'm reading and she'll kind of – fall asleep to the soothing sound of my voice and or she'll Marcel or Marcel Proust doesn't matter she's she's got pretty wide taste there you um, go but um, yeah 
yeah, I, I, I find when I read something out loud, I find that I, I experience it even more like differently from another angle because I can hear it and I have to, you know, form the words in my mouth and they just kind of hit my ear differently. Now, are you an audiobook person? Do you I am listen an audiobook person. I do like to audio, like audiobooks. I like audiobooks for the classics a lot of the time mm-hmm. because um, they're just easier for me to approach in that way. When I hear how something is maybe not supposed to be read, but how something is traditionally or like the general accepted way for something to be read, I, I kind of find it easier to understand and, and connect with in that way. Audiobooks are a great way to find. Um, time to read and I recently um, started a book group uh, when I was out at Gardner mm-hmm. that allowed you to bring your own book to the book group. It's called the now, Silent Book Group. Now explain explain this real quick. What is a silent book group and what does it do? A silent book group is designed to help you find time to read and connect with other people who do read. And it's a book group, but instead of having a book that you do homework on and you that have you're to, you're assigned to, to read, you bring the book that you want to the book group. You can share what you read or, or, or where, what you're reading or what you are excited about reading and make recommendations, recommend books to one another. And then we start reading for about an hour and we just sit there in a coffee house or a bar or something and just read. So you're reading together kind of separately. Together and separately. We're each in our own story, but we're all together as a group, Interesting. as a community. And it carves yeah. out that time. It's, right. Yeah, it so helps nice. you carve out that time. Is something like this coming to Lenexa? Uh, we hope so. Okay. We hope so. In probably 2020, but we hope so. Okay, fair enough. I, I had a couple questions. So uh, the audiobooks, do you prefer the uh, a, a little bit more of a pr- production value, or, or are you a purist and just really like a, a narrator and no extra special effects? Um, I'm not opposed to special effects. If they start to take over the story, then I kind of get a little, a little frustrated. Sure. Like sound effects in the background, possibly. If I know that if a, it has to, the production level has to be pretty good, and the editing. If a, if I'm listening to something from like LibriVox or something where it hasn't been edited as much, and so somebody fumbles a word or sure. turns around to yell at their dog for a minute, it kind of like, and then goes back to reading the story. It really, I can't have anything to do with that audio it takes, book. You out it takes me out of the experience and out of the story but that's just my own personal feelings sure. i know some people that they don't have a, as big of a problem with that but um, yeah. i just remember uh ready player one oh, yeah. had, had a lot of effects to it oh, and really? it, it really added to the story but maybe it's just the genre that you know yeah, yeah. that's more zippy sci-fi you yeah know? and also that particular book uh, owes so much to the 80s video game experience sure. so those those uh cues i'm sure adds to the story. Right. Uh, my other question was, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the Goodreads challenge, and we have a lot of librarians that listen to this podcast, and so they'll know what you're talking about. But what about our patrons that don't necessarily, that, that aren't familiar with the Goodreads challenge? What, right. what is that? First of all, what is Goodreads? Goodreads is like a social media platform for you to connect with other people who read. Okay, so it's like, instead it's of like a Facebook, it's like this is, instead of saying, this is what I'm reading now, it's more people can like add books to their shelf and like rate and review the books that they've right. read. You can meet other people, you can connect with your friends and you can also keep track. It's all it's also for keeping track of the books that you read are reading currently and one of the things that I kind of mentioned was was or was getting into is that it can you can set up challenges for yourself every year for how many 
how many books a year you want to read. Mine was 30 this year, and I'm falling very, very short of that. Sure. It was 25 last year. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a particular number. You set the number. And you then, set your own goal. And then you it's a yeah, it's a reading goal, and then you um, try to read that, ma- that many books, and it tells you how far along you are. You can keep track of all of them, and, and uh, that's, yeah, it's one way to to hold yourself accountable, but like I said, I'm kind of not really doing that this year. That's okay. I think with a with a new baby and a and a new life experience, even though you're still trying and you're still kind of still reading, maybe you're just kind of doing it in a different way. I'm doing it with a different peace of mind, yeah, and a different approach. And there's nothing wrong with that. Goodreads hasn't found a way to track that yet. They haven't shown up in my house knocking on my door with uh, the Goodreads police haven't no. haven't uh, tackled you or arrested no, you or anything like that. That doesn't happen. Okay, that's probably a good good thing. Well, so to, to wrap things up then, Matt and, and, and Greg, uh, if folks want to uh, have some suggestions about what they should read or other materials and listen to if they, they would like, um, because they're busy people, um, how can they find good stuff in our, our catalog? Well, a couple of ways. We have, uh, if you go to our website, jocolibrary.org, um, there's a staff pick section, so you can you could read what other uh, Johnson County Library staff are reading. We also have um, lists there, so if you're maybe um, a casual reader and really want uh, good recommendations in a certain genre, like you know, mystery or romance, something to really get you going there, we have lists of uh, kind of beginner um, or at least introductions to certain genres that people can get and then start and then keep on going. So we don't have an official uh, Books for Busy People reading list as of yet. But we can. But we can. Sounds I did like make a, a list a while back that was books that it was called Yes, You Do Have Time to Read. And ah. it was a list of about 30 or 40 books that were all under 100 pages. And so if folks want to follow you uh, in our catalog, yes. uh, who would they look for? They would look for JCL Matt C. And Greg, why don't you throw yours out there? Sure. Well. Mine is JCL Greg W. That's G-R-E-G-G-W. If you uh, look on the search bar there, instead of searching by title or by author, you search by user. Right. And you can follow uh, other people in the catalog and uh, find out what they're reading. And we invite you to do that and keep reading and exploring our catalog. For more episodes of Did You Hear, go to the Johnson County Library website, jocolibrary.org slash didyouhear.